0: This is Colorspeak, unveiling truth for light. Hi, I'm your host, Janet Huxley, author J.M. Huxley. Welcome to this podcast to unveil truth and uplift you. Here you will find truth talk, For relevance restoration, social influence, and dynamic purpose in all places and all seasons. Here, we will unveil truth for color. Light is where you'll find truth. Truth is where you'll find color. Color is where you'll find God. Color is God. It's His love for you. The love of God is found in the light. And it's found in darkness too. But you can't stand in light while sheltering in the darkness, according to our next guest, who fought her way out of a place she describes as an abyss of abuse. Darkness nearly suffocated her, but tiny pinpricks of light and inky heaviness gave her hope. Her story is, well, enthralling. Speaker, podcaster, and author of the books Pinpoints of Light, Escaping the Abyss of Abuse, and Out of Darkness, Find, Fuel, and Live Your Light, April Tribe Duke is the mother of nine children, who is an absolute powerhouse. Seriously, I have never known anyone like her. Just think Energizer Bunny and you'll be close to envisioning April. Her long list of achievements is headed up at the top as someone who is able to escape domestic violence. She now empowers other women to move out of trauma to truth and darkness into light by helping them heal. Her motto is show up shining, which is certainly in sync with our platform here at Color Speak because this is a place where we share our stories with a hope that we might encourage others to theirs. And anytime we can celebrate a sister overcoming adversity to triumph in the light, we must do it. April, thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure to have you here.
1: Thank you so much, Janet. I am honored to be here. (laughs) I'm a little, (laughs) when you read all that off, I was like, oh my. (laughs) Well, thank you. I I really appreciate it. That's wonderful. Thank
0: you. Yes, it's all true. (laughs) Yes, it is. And hey, you know what? I only scratched the surface. There is so much more you have going on right now. So you offer your beacon of light ghostwriting and book launching services and so much more. So before we jump into your testimony, would you fill us in on details you'd like our listening audience to know?
1: All right, sure. If there's anyone out there who desires to share something that's pressing upon them like their story that is my hope that I can reach out and to help the opportunity that you have to write your victory story is amazing and um, I have to tell you that it doesn't always have to be in a memoir style or something that's maybe nonfiction, like a self-help if you if there's anyone out there who loves fiction the way I do, you can definitely take components of your life and write it out in a way that really just paints amazing stories. If you think about it in your lifetime, there are stories that you have read either through, you know, school or maybe on your own, and the majority of those books in the fiction realm of things, you have this character that overcomes right? It's what draws you in. You want right. to know how How are they going to do it? Yes. How, what's going to happen to this particular character? And of course, we have classics. We have modern tales. We have all of these types of things. And with so many authors today, story is in full abundance. And so I really hope that you take it into your mind and into your heart to think, if I do have that story, to reach out to see what we can do to help you complete your story and allow it then to touch and help others. Writers don't write their stories for themselves. Right. They write the story and it will impact so many from Anything you could possibly imagine.
0: Well, that's just the thing, April. I think there are so many people out there that have a story in them or feel inclined in sharing that story, but they just don't know where to begin. Or they hear an enemy in their head telling them, no, 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 you could never do this, or it wouldn't matter, or it wouldn't be interesting. I heard those things myself. And you just have to get to a point where you're just ready to tell it and ready to overcome whatever adversity heads your way. And let me tell you, as far as your writing style, I've read your book, and it was riveting. Like, my heart was beating out of my chest, (laughs) literally, as you're getting ready to escape. And boy, I have so many questions for you. So maybe we just get right to it. And let me just ask you, well, wait a minute, I want to back up a minute, because you were talking about helping others with their stories. You helped Cecile Babawe, didn't you? write her book. yes, And I just had her on last week. And her book was amazing. The book that she wrote was sharing what it was like to grow up with a mom who suffered from schizophrenia. And her book is Loving Her Mind. And that was, wow, good for you. I'm so glad you coaxed that out of her. That's a great story.
1: It's an amazing story. And when I was connected with her, they said, you have some history with schizophrenia. You might be able to help her. And I was like, I am all in. And it was so phenomenal to just go through the things with her and to share. And I have to say, um, when this illustration towards the back of the book and actually what's, what she wrote on her back cover copy is something that she was really trying to work through. Like, how is this actually going to happen? And And the long and short of it, her mom, there is absolutely nothing wrong with her and there never will be. And that is her 100% reality and truth. Mm -hmm. And so, and so Cecile was like, I need to show people this because what I was doing was my mom was in a glass sphere and through her light and through her life and through her eyes, there was absolute clarity. Nothing was blocking ever Mm -hmm. because she was within this sphere. And she said, I found myself shattering against her sphere over and over, hoping to break it. And the only thing that the result was me being broken. Hmm. And, And so when we had to finally bring that visual to light, everything clicked because she wanted to use... Like her own voice in the sense of she wanted to be first person when she was talking about the the things that happened when she was thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen years old. And then she wanted to use a third person voice. And so when you're mixing voice and tenses throughout a book, it's tough because there's all these rules that say, No, 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 no. She says, But right. this feels so right to do it. And I said, Okay. We at least have to leave a tense in a particular chapter. We can't switch every, every other paragraph. And <laughs> so she's right. like, okay, okay, I'll accept that. So once we got those, you know, kind of structural things put in, it just flew. And it was, it's amazing to see. I, I am so proud of her. She's just a delight. So that's what we can do.
0: Yeah. <laughs> It's a very cool testimony. And I have to say, I've really been thinking about that testimony a lot. And in fact, today, I was in getting my hair done. And I was talking to my hairstylist about her because I said to to my friend, Cherish, who does my hair, I said, can you even imagine growing up in an environment where your mom has these delusions that you don't even understand to be delusions at the time, but you're living a lifestyle where Everything you're doing is under scrutiny. You're told that somebody is watching you as you shower, as you use the restroom, wherever you go, that your friends are out to get your mom. And there's this incredibly crazy paranoia that is so pervasive. And you're going through all of those typical things a teenager goes through. So you have all of that hormonal stuff on top of crazy that's not being seen as crazy and how you navigate through that to overcome like she did and to be able to talk about it. And kudos to you for helping her bring that story out. Very well done and very, very encouraging. And another one of those books I couldn't set down. So bravo. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Great. Super fun. Okay. So listen, I mean, your own story. That was crazy. I read it and I kept thinking, It's getting crazier. How can it get crazier? What is going on here? Oh, my goodness. Let's just go ahead and have you start to tell it. I mean, there's a lot to tell. Uh, Where do you begin? I don't know. Give us the abbreviated version, April. Okay.
1: So the long and short of it is when you are in any kind of form of, of abuse, there are moments where you'll finally hit the bottom or the wall. Okay. And unfortunately, physically that happened to me. And when we hit, I knew that the the escape was gonna was gonna go down. I knew at a particular point in the story that I was going to be the ten o'clock news story hmm. and not in the one that talks about the world famous cookie or <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like oh, yeah. I was gonna be the other. Top story of the night. Um, the lead up and build up to all of that is front and center, when we got married, we were the team. And he had suffered from abuse, sexual abuse as a child. And he had parked that pain right next to mental illness that reigned in his family, but no one spoke of.
0: Did you know that going into it? Into your marriage? Okay.
1: I did not because there were two uncles that were never really talked about, other than the black sheep of the family. And if you kind of grow up like that, like oh yeah, you know, that's just how so and so is. You you just kind of take it like oh yep, I have one of those too, right? Right. But you don't go into any depth of story or anything like that. Well, um, he had parked it right next to this particular monster of a mental illness that would eventually rear its head and when it did it it was a doozy Sure. so not without giving a lot away in the story my first husband suffered from bipolar schizophrenia but it was not diagnosed until much much later and when we're talking about abuse this might feel like it's jumping but let me describe this for you abuse i describe it in two ways you are either a hunter Somebody that knows their victim, knows their prey, will camouflage their life, very narcissistic, um, setting traps, luring you in, right? Right. They lure the prey right in. That's what a hunter does. Some people say predator, but really a hunter is more cunning than a predator. I would agree. A predator is just going. Hunters have plans, my gosh, look at what's invested in becoming a hunter, if you really think about it physically, right? Going duck hunting, you just don't go out there with a gun. You have a blind, you have camouflage, you go at certain hours, you're luring the man, right? Right. You put out decoys. So this is the abuse of a hunter, all right? The other, which is not as many, we don't have as many of these, are what we call, what I term, a caged animal. So if you've ever seen a caged animal, when you approach, they do not know if you are there to help them or to hurt them. Sure. But abuse is the end result. They will strike, right? And unfortunately, mine was the latter. Mine was definitely more of that caged animal because he was caged within the mind of this mental illness. And his only coping skill and escape was to go into drug and alcohol abuse along with a lot of adultery.
0: Hmm.
1: And it was really, really tough finding and discovering all of these things. Um, to make a long story short, we had five cycles in our nine-year marriage, nine-and-a-half-year marriage. And with each cycle came a child, so five kids in nine years. The point of that is things were good, happy, amazing. Right off the bat, after marriage, we after the wedding we decided to, to start having children and we did and the first first one came all as well all is exciting he's a general contractor and so owning his own business can cause a little stress and not knowing how to deal and work with stress and suddenly that pain that you've suffered from as a child from sexual abuse ah. the stress outrears schizophrenia and it was about the perfect timing. Most schizophrenics happen or or come to or, you know, emerge in their early 20s. That's what I heard. He was, yeah, he was, he was about 24 years old when everything really started to, to get going. Now he might have exhibited symptoms prior to, but we he didn't have the added stress of now we've got a family, a mortgage, a kid and a business. All going on, right? And my escape of drugs and alcohol are not working. I can't hide them anymore. And by that time, when I had discovered, um, you know, patterns of behaviors which were kind of strange. I mean, I always thought we were going to be together as a team. I was not innocently thinking, "Oh, we will have no problems." No, I understood we were going to have challenges. That's just a trial of life. (laughs) But I thought we would do it together. Like I thought we'd face cancer together, or I thought we'd face, you know, losing our business together. I didn't understand that I was going to be battling his mind. Yes. And um, that put a whole nother spin on life. So I found myself pregnant with my second child and you hit a particular bottom. And suddenly the repentance, the going back to church again happens, the swearing off of the drugs and alcohol and the women, and we're good for five, six, seven months Find out I'm pregnant again, and then we spiral down. And now you can't visually see my hands, but imagine yourself doing a loop. And as you reach back to the top of that loop, you don't quite get back to the top. You're just slightly under it. And then you go back down in a circle, and then you come back up for the loop, but you don't hit where the second loop was. And then you slide back down. You come up a little bit shy again, right? And so you're actually descending slowly, slowly into this abyss where every time you think we're rising up above it, we're not.
0: And, that makes perfect sense. And that's a yeah. great illustration.
1: So that's that's where we were because I couldn't understand that his mind was really causing the, the problems in the sense that he was fighting his own demons. I didn't know that. Hmm. I really thought these were his choices. How could you do this? We had made covenants. What's wrong with you? And that's a lot of how the fights would go. And he would be absolutely quiet and not re-engage. And then I would see him for a few days. And then he would return all as well, but not really. There was always things that were off. And um, not to give the book away, but there's a big discovery that happens that I understand that I'm not dealing with just him, that I'm dealing with a whole group of people. That live in right. his mind. And yes. that awareness was massive and life-shattering. And at the same time, I had made a commitment. I had made a covenant. And I knew he was ill. And so this became a multi-layer event. And why I described abuse as either a hunter or a caged animal, I saw the most frightened and paranoid animal in the cage I had ever seen when this whole awakening happened for me and all I wanted to do was try to get him help and so I tried and tried and tried well in that trying sorry ladies and, and gentlemen who is ever listening we accidentally take on the savior complex and sure let me just tell you
0: that's no it good never works. Yes, it doesn't happen I know this firsthand yes
1: when when that comes about Your honest intention is to really try to get them the help that they need. I had no intention of thinking, hurry, hide even more, sweep more under the, you know, the rug for I'm so embarrassed. It was more like, I think he's going to
0: die unless we get direct help. So you were never thinking that your own welfare or the safety of the children were at stake, kind of backing up to what you said in the beginning. At some point, you recognized that you could be the 10 o'clock news. What was the catalyst for that? How did you move into a place beyond what you're talking about now, where it didn't just become, or it wasn't just about his own welfare, and boy, you had given it. Can we just say right now, women who are listening, April went above and beyond the call of duty in attempting to adhere to that covenant. And I know a lot of women or faith are there. That's our thinking that, that we are the ones who must persevere, that we have signed this agreement before God and it is up to us to see it through, but that can't always happen. So what was your, what was the impetus for releasing you from that?
1: I actually went on, I went on a vacation, <laughs> but not, not your typical vacation. At this point in in the marriage and everything, uh, he had struck the kids a few times. He had struck me a few times, but really it was out of the craziness to to backstep my first five children, my first three boys all have autism and autism within the spectrum can be, can manifest itself in a huge range of many things. And for my second son, screaming, crying, tantruming, biting, hitting his head, banging his head were very much par that if there was anything off boom, it would just send him off. Well, the sound and the noise level that would happen would trigger almost anyone, right? He just had the pitch, the tonality. And I knew that if he went off, mm-hmm. it was going to trigger something else. And so that's when occasionally the hits would happen and I would you know, be protecting the kids and I would take the blows and it was to silence the noise. Mm-hmm. When you have seen somebody like lose their mind because of noise or, or whatever, that's where it goes into and, and he would lose it. So as that little bit of a backstory, I'm preparing myself to go on this trip and it's really to reenact my fourth great grandmother's walk and journey across the United States to get to what they termed the land of Zion. They came over across a the boat. There were nine children, husband and wife, the Parkinson's. They come down the Erie Canal, they take a train ride towards, you know, the the edge of the wilderness at this point, which is around St. Louis, and they are connected with a company called the Martin Handcart Company, and they put their possessions in a handcart. He sells off everything he has and actually purchases wagons for the hunt company to, to carry supplies. And he says, I won't go in the wagon. My family and I will walk. We will take a handcart. And off they trek for 1,300 miles with this group of saints towards Zion. Well, they left late in the season. And winter storms that happened in October on the high plains of Wyoming strike. It's negative 20. There's four feet of snow. They are destitute, desperate. And trying to make it into the Salt Lake Valley. And there's really no hope left. Well, at that moment, her father passes, freezes in the night. Her mother freezes in the night. And two other siblings end up passing away
0: on this trek. Wow. That's, that's hard to process.
1: It's very, very difficult. So I wanted to relive this this experience and it's in a place called Martin's Cove. So the Martin the Martin's handcart company, they got to this place where there was a little bit of shelter and they tried to wait out the storm which lasted two weeks and everyone is perishing and people were coming to the rescue. But they didn't know that. And finally when the rescue get there, my fourth great grandmother, she's five years old at the time and she's orphaned and there's three other siblings. So what the heck are they going to do? Sit there? No. They have to end up getting up and walking the rest of the 900 miles to the valley. And so they do. Now, I share the story because of the tenacity, the grit, the drive. You can see maybe where some of my energy comes from. Yeah, like,
0: like I was just quit. thinking that. Like, yes, it's for sure. It's genetically
1: within us. You don't quit. You don't give up. And in that way, it's amazing and it can trap you, which is what happened with me. Well, we went on this reenactment trip and literally hours before we're ready to go, my husband says, I'm not going. And so I hop in the van with, at the time, my five kids and we take off for the wilderness and reenact this whole thing. We got the pioneer garb. Look at the handcart. We're going. Now, I can now how far did you walk? We walked a, a total of 20 miles. I mean, obviously that's amazing. We weren't going to
0: do 1,300. But, <laughs> sure. I, well, I was hoping you weren't going to tell me that. No, 900. That's no, no. that's a relief. Just, but you did it with did three it. kids with autism, yeah. which is phenomenal. It was The exhausting. 20 miles that you oh, trekked. Yeah, yeah, of course.
1: And I was so empowered. All of a sudden, I'm like, I can do this. Wait a minute. Like the the lies that I had been telling myself, this false thing of of you're in it, you're. that's it, there's no hope. It was so clear. Everyone has agency, everyone has their choice. Everyone is going to make their own decisions regardless of the covenants that they have made. And you, that doesn't mean that I have to leave my covenant, I can stay within the laws and the covenants that I have made. And if he chooses to leave, I don't have any say in that because ultimately it's his choice.
0: Well, did you not want him to leave at that point, April?
1: At this point, this is is the clarity that's coming and coming and coming out at me. And I'm like, wow. I knew that we had had so many challenges. And I knew that at this point, something was going to have to give. At least we were going to have to separate. I I wasn't thinking divorce, but I was thinking like, okay, something's going to have to give. And I knew going on this trek that, Wow. It just solidified everything. That was my turning moment. But I have to tell, well, I won't tell you. You you have to read it in the book. But there's an event that happens within that trek that solidified it. I'm like, all right, I'm done. And I was able to finally get a job. I became a teacher. Like I had to have a living wage. Part of what kept me trapped Mm -hmm. was the lack of financial stability. Like I could not provide for my family. I was not going to leave and be without a job and become homeless and then end up going back. Because I know at this point, what I've been reading through is that you return over seven times before you finally make the clean break. And I was like, Oh um, no, I'm, I, when when I go, I've got to go for real. And, and I didn't know when it would be. I just knew that he would know that the Lord would say, okay, it's time. And when that came. At absolute clarity, it was like, you are released from your calling. He is my son and I will take care of him. And it was so peaceful. It was absolutely freeing. Now, what occurred the next 24 hours was not so
0: happy. I was going to say, (laughs) can we fast forward to, I know you don't want to give a whole lot away, but I'm telling you, like I said, my heart was in my throat as you are attempting escape and all of the things that happened to you prior to that that was some crazy stuff april
1: it was crazy and i will say without giving anything away i felt absolutely uh absolute protection and comfort i know that sounds bizarre we are being threatened there's knives and guns involved and like it's horrible i just knew it was going to be okay, and I have to tell you this little part, which is so strange. But when we went to go get the protective order, obviously we made it out. when we were getting the protective order, all those events that happened, the witness, <laughs> is sad, the witness of my six-year-old, who drew it out for the judge, mm. was all the evidence that they needed. Yeah. And, and I, had, I won the protective order um, right there, and. In the courtroom, my husband at the time had a display of all of his amazing people in his mind. He broke out into a complete hallucination in front of the judge, in front of it He actually pointed his finger and hushed the judge. Oh, dear. I, like, oh, yeah. I was like, oh. But at the same time, half of me was cheering, like, i going to make yeah. it. I'm actually getting away. This is over. It's done. And I knew it. It was. And we've been away now for almost 15 years, and he's serving um, a prison sentence and not that you want to wish that upon anyone, but he's in a place that he can't harm anyone. Yes. And I pray that he's getting some help. I really do because it's not a life sentence, so he will return to the streets one day and he will return on the hunt again. And so we'll just we just take it day by day when when that will come.
0: And so you fully anticipate that? I do. Yep. Oh wow. Well, and I know I know your husband Scott. He is yes. a terrific guy. I yes. love Scott. So you have your happy ever after ending kind of sort of, <laughs> right? I mean Right. That last piece of information was a little unsettling, I'm not going to lie, but yeah. Wow. <laughs> So, you know, backing up just a little bit, and I know we're not getting into the nitty gritty details here, but one of the things that I just really loved as I was reading, speed reading, you know, flipping the pages, trying to breathe as I'm, and I'm knowing, you know, and I know you at this (laughs) point, so I'm thinking, well, I know she made it out. I know this is going to be okay. Um, But one of the things (laughs) I really loved was the way that the Lord confirmed to you that you were on the right track. when you had made the decision to escape, and you encountered the woman by the name of Gloria. And you write that you felt oh, yeah. the Lord's love radiate through her. It really was a miracle. Could you explain it was. a little about that for us? Sure.
1: So I have just driven away, and we, of course, you're in a snowstorm. Many things happened to me in a snowstorm. And as we're driving away in the snowstorm, I'm thinking, where are we going? Where are we going to go? And I knew we had eight minutes to get out. So when you have those eight minutes, you do everything you can to escape and, and you're gone. And I felt impressed to turn into this particular hotel. We went there and I kept thinking to myself, just hold it together. You are girl, you are on fire. You are amazing. Like I'm totally <laughs> kept talking to myself. Now just to just to describe the the kiddos, okay, it's November. Two have shoes. Two have shoes on. Three do not. One is still in a princess dress that has a blanket on her. The other still has the daycare diaper. Okay, It's around 11 at night now. She still has the daycare diaper on. She left daycare around 2 in the afternoon. So, you know, I, I'm not really holding it together, but I'm going to buy all golly jolly. I'm walking in with confidence. Sure. <laughs> and so in I go. And in this hobbling, crazy mess that I come into thinking that I've got my life together, Gloria is the clerk at the desk. She reads me like the open book I am that I'm like, Oh no, no, we're all great. <laughs> and Gloria books the room. She offered to help. She helped take us in. Um, you know all these great things are, are going on and I'm like, wonderful, wonderful, super awesome. She even let the kids go get candy cane by the tree. I'm like, amazing. And by the time we got to the hotel room, she helped me walk down the hall and help open the door. And I'm putting in the kids and the little that we own. And she turns to me and she says, honey, are you running? And I, I cracked. I'm like, yes. And I just broke. And she embraced me with such love that I knew, I knew we were going to be safe. Yeah. I absolutely knew it, and she said, you're safe on my watch, and I knew what she was, I knew it was absolutely true, so we stayed there for about three nights, and on that third night, I'd come home from from work, we had taken different routes here and there, my car was even part of this whole ploy like to hide it, and I had given her a picture of him, and when I came in, actually that third night, she kind of gave me a wink, and I knew what that wink was. Was like I gotta talk to her. And so again, she's like, "Hey, there's more candy at the tree." So off goes the kids. You know, they're picking the candy canes off the tree. And man, she's like, "He came, he came looking for you." And that was it. We were gone without that warning. I don't know what else would have happened. We took off. We were homeless, and we just kind of played this homeless route for about a month. But Gloria is what I, who I called an ultimate supporter. And I realized in this whole journey is that women, if you're going to escape, if you're going to make a plan, you have to have a network. You have to build your support network. And these people are, they act like a first responder. They're the ones that will keep your trust, keep your secret. No matter how many times you might break the date of actually leaving, true people will be like, no problem. And they'll be right there. The next time you try, the next time you try, the next time you try. If anyone tries to put, uh, let's just say a, a condition on you like I don't believe you anymore you tried three times oh I'm not going to help you anymore they're not part of your support team because I'm here to tell you no first responder like a fireman does they don't arrive at the house that's on fire with their fingers pointing did you start you started the fire. oh I know you did it you started the fire yeah right no, they're there to help put out the flames save the life that's what they're doing so that's the network that you need to build you need to build these people up the networks that love that create everything and that's something that's really really important you have to be able to do that
0: Yes, another great analogy. And, you know, I do want to talk about, as we transition to what you're doing now to help out, to get this book, Pinpoints of Light, into 11,000 shelters across the United States. That, to me, begs the question, did you not have a shelter available to you at that time?
1: I did. I had, I had a shelter, but I... Uh, to be honest I didn't know how to use a shelter mm-hmm. and I was terrified with my three boys with autism yeah I just like what if Garrett has one of his night terrors what if he's like biting and hitting and punching me and they're like oh you know child protection you know there were so many other variables I that see. I'm like ah we will live in the van and we will like it and it will be fun like
0: Wow, that's such a burden for yeah. you though. I mean, It was crazy. I know what it was like to divorce with four kids and leave a situation that wasn't anything like yours, but still precarious for me and very filled with trauma to my mind and to try to yeah. keep it together and and to be the parent that the kids yeah. need, that place of refuge and solace. That's a lot. And you have three kids with well, autism. Well, I didn't do it.
1: I didn't do it. That was God. Yeah. Heavenly Father was like, I, I got this. I'm like, you can have it. Here you go. And I just placed it. I remember the scripture coming to me, you know, about the yoke. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if if Christ has the other side of this, I'm in. I'm okay. He's going to take it. Yeah, And I... Felt the burden, the the burden of fear and worry absolutely lift. We were still homeless, but I still had my job. We could still maintain routine. We could still do these kinds of things. And one of my greatest weaknesses is asking for help. I know. Weird. Yeah, that's me too. And, you know, it's kind of part of the survival of things. And and it can be really filled with a lot of pride. So I've learned, Mm -hmm. like, ask for help. And I I had a a teacher assistant at the time, because I'm teaching at a school with kids with autism all day, and then I go home to autism all night. Like, I never leave it. Mm. And this particular assistant, she kind of shut the door as I was leaving one of the nights, and she's like, cut the crap. (laughs) I don't know what the heck is going on, but you need help. And I couldn't tell her. I was just like, I was so afraid if anyone at work found out I would be fired Mm. that was the I'm like I have to keep this job I showed up every day those kids were on time there was no way I was going to miss work miss one day of work I was terrified that if I missed work I would actually be fired I had not had any kind of job in such dire circumstances and the fear factor for me was
0: enormous
1: Rationally, I'm like, "No, nah, you're not going to get fired." But like, "No, I am." Like, I couldn't, I couldn't talk myself out of it.
0: I can get that, yeah.
1: So when she shut the door, it was like, "I'm, oh, you're, you need help, girl." And I was like, "Okay."
0: Some of what you say, what you're saying resonates with me because I was running a business at the time and I had a lot of employees and I think it was really primarily a pride issue. I couldn't let anyone think of me in those terms. I didn't want to be viewed as a victim or someone who was incapable or weak by any means. So I too failed to reach out to people for help because I needed to create this image, so to speak. and. Uh, Of course, I was in radio at the time. It was it was a difficult time. And like you, I felt like like I was I was stronger than. And whatever was coming against me, surely I could deal with it. That trek that you talked about really also was something I thought of too. I couldn't do this now, but I was a whole lot younger then, and I remember I was a hiker, and I would take my kids hiking, and we would hike up to the top of Stonewall Peak, which is just to the east of San Diego and Cuyamaca. And it's yeah. it's just two miles up and two miles down, but I did that eight months pregnant carrying a two-year-old. I mean, by sure. golly, I was woman, hear me roar, and by Goodness, there was nothing that was going to stand in my way until I realized there was plenty in my way and I needed to seek help. And what I didn't have at the time was I didn't have faith. But here's the cool thing about what you were saying in Gloria and what I experienced myself is even though I didn't have faith at the time, The Lord met me where I was and I'm speaking to you women who may not have faith because what I'm saying to you is the Lord still loves you and he still meets you where you are and he still is invested in your welfare. He is still providing. You may not notice it, but he's there and he's going to help you out of those situations, whether you trust him or not. Help is available. So in getting to the shelter part that I asked you about, Tell me, I think this is so exciting now. You have people all over the United States getting your book out and into shelters so that your message can be received by women who need to hear it.
1: Yes, we call it Pinpoints Across America. And it started last June. So it's going to be almost a year, a year old. Oh, wow. (laughs) It's almost coming up to that year anniversary. And during the height of the pandemic, the Lord's like, hey, so I want you to put a box of books in your van as you go on your family vacation. I'm like, okay, all right, I'll do that. And I'm thinking, all right. (laughs) And he's like, and you're going to deliver it to different shelters as you go. And immediately the half of my brain who loves to organize is like, I haven't called anybody. I don't know. I don't have like a flyer. And it was like, do you trust me? When you have that moment, uh, you get quiet real quick. Yeah, like uh, yep okay yeah that's right i should gee willikers i guess i should trust the person that you know i don't know created the universe i'm pretty sure he can make this happen <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, I probably don't need a flyer okay let's just go so we did we took off from texas we went to texas oklahoma kansas nebraska south dakota over to wyoming a little bit in Idaho, down to utah over to colorado Down to New Mexico. And along the way, every time we'd stop for food or for gas, I was like, look up a shelter. I'm like, okay. I would look up a shelter literally within a mile or less. That's where the shelter would be. I would ring their little ring doorbell thing, you know, no entrance, COVID, you know, that everyone's freaking out. And they were like, yes, please, just leave it there on the doorstep. Yes, please, yes, please. I even got to meet a few directors. And that was amazing in itself. And suddenly when we had gone through this whole trip and done it, I was thinking, okay, how can I do more? How can I, 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 do you see see the pattern? How can I, I, I,
0: Mm, (laughs) again, a little knockdown
1: of the (laughs) sweet lord is like, it's not about you, ask people for help. And I was like, go, okay, I will. And so I did. And I was shocked how many people were like, I'll do it, I'll do it.
0: Yes, I saw that.
1: And I'm mailing off these books to people who are like, "Yeah, I'll take it to a shelter." And then they're sending pictures back, and I'm like,
0: "Right, we're
1: onto <laughs> something here." And wow, the only challenge is there's there's eleven thousand shelters in the United States. We have delivered to two hundred and forty nine of them. We are now in 22 states, so we have a ways to go. But if anyone would love to be part of this program, that would be fantastic because we want to deliver books into these shelters for women to read, to gain hope, to know that even if it's their fifth time visiting the shelter, maybe Mm. this time it'll stick. Maybe this time, this time they will know of their worth, their value and find it for themselves their significant other is worth every penny just like you are but you are not the one to fix you are not the one to help if you still want to pray for them be that beacon for them be that lighthouse lighthouses are anchored upon the rock and i think the rock of christ and as you stretch your light outward you are safe They are within the storm of their life, whether it's mixed with drugs and alcohol, pornography, abuse, whatever, pain that they might have suffered from. You are not the Coast Guard that goes in with the rescue. That has to be a first responder Mm. and a whole team. You don't have to cut off the light from them. So you can always pray. And I find that through that prayer, you'll find forgiveness. And when you find you can forgive those that abuse you, your ultimate freedom occurs. It's almost like Christ welcomes you into his arms in such a way that you've never been embraced before.
0: And you're free. Yeah. Well, forgiveness is huge. And I, I'm amazed at times how easy forgiveness is now i don't mean to make light by that by any means but what i mean by that is that forgiveness is actually is not as difficult as you might think and when you experience that you know that it is through christ there is no other way that that sort of thing can happen And I too am praying. I have my own story and I did have to have an ex arrested and it was not a fun experience. Of course, whenever I think you're the person being arrested, I don't know, I've not been arrested, but I think that there is, like you talked about with Cecile's mom, there's no understanding of wrongdoing because mental illness prevents that. So the only thing you can do really is to turn it over in prayer and allow the Lord to do his thing and you just continue to pray and forgive and move forward not back nope. don't look back nope so nope. your whole platform obviously is helping women escape abuse how can backing up just a little bit how can people who want to get involved and get your book into shelters how can they get a hold of you? what's the best way to do that?
1: So um, you can email me at April at Apriltrive.com you can also visit my website at April tribe juke dot com. and we have pinpoints across america right there on the front page you can click on it and it will take you to a page where the books are free you just pay a small shipping and handling fee and i send you two two books and it's your call. You can send both books to the same shelter. You can keep one book and give it to the other one to a shelter, or you can send them to two different shelters, whatever it is that you'd like to do. But we love to have you go within your own area because within your own area, you suddenly learn right there. Oh my gosh, this is like just two miles from my home. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. And that the awareness, what we're trying to create with this community about Pinpoints Across America is that Now, here's some hard statistics, is that every single, and unfortunately, even now, that have just happened this past year, every mass shooting in the United States of America has one common denominator, and that is of domestic violence. They were either perpetrators of it, or they experienced it in some point of their lifetime. That is tragic. That is unbelievable. It is tragic. That statistic is something that spills blood upon all of us. And so we really have to figure out within our own communities, this isn't someone else's problem. This isn't something far away. One in four women are abused. One in three women in the world are abused. This has to come to an awakening. And we need to get our men involved. Because this isn't a women's problem. This is a male problem. Now, I know on the outliers, women can also abuse. But I'm sorry, the fraction of that number is so small. The bulk come from the men, what war is happening on these little boys, on these teenagers? Mm. What's happening? When I look and raise my five children, so in my nine kids, I have five boys. Uh, You can bet your bottom, I am doing everything I can to teach them about love, light, how to treat others with love and respect so that we break the cycle, so we break the chain. Yes, And it has to start at home. Families are under severe attack. This is not, let's create another community program. This is community, wake up, take care of your neighbors, bless the life of your own family. And if you see someone who is in trouble, pray and reach, you'll know what to do. Now we have the recovery side of things, right? In my book, Out of Darkness, I had to then share, oh, how did you heal, right? My first book, like you've explained, Janet, is the story, and I wanted to write it just as the story. I needed it to be like a novel, like a movie, like you experience all of this. And then as you go into the second book, it is, how did you heal? What happened? Like, you experienced trauma. Did you just pop up and like, hey, I'm doing it. No, no, (laughs) no the healing process happens for all of us. We all have some kind of pain and trauma within our life and we have to be able to face work through. And as the journey happens of healing, we are able then to see so much further reach back and help others along the way. No one is alone. No one. So in out of darkness, I label the negative voice That was shouting in my head, which I called the shame shadow. You see, we are always standing within light, all of us, and we cast a shadow behind us. That shadow will always be there because light will always shine on us. We are the object. Therefore, there's your shadow. Now, what's interesting is how often we turn to our shadow, listen, feed, pine with, worry with our shadow versus you know, you can just turn around and face your light. That light comes from God. <laughs> uh, your choice. Your choice, though, man. You know, whatever. Yes. And I kind of make light of it because it all of a sudden became that clear. And suddenly when I realized this negative voice, this shame shadow, was always bringing up the dirt in my life. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Oh man, <laughs> It's ridiculous. <laughs> I can totally say that now. Because even when the pity parties kind of start... We got maybe six minutes in. And then they're like, I almost start laughing. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so funny. You're so funny, old shamey. (laughs) And old shamey's like, oh man. I'm like, yeah, you're getting smaller and smaller back there. And I just have to stay vigilant on it all the time. And from there, what I learned is that shame shadow casts the lies, right? As we believe the lies, we're actually building ourselves a comfort cage. We actually build our own trap. Mm made out of our own fear, out of our own lies, out of our own pain. And because it's a cage, very, you know, porous, that shadow just floats right on in, sits right down beside us, and just keeps that negative coming. And more bars and bars keep building. Well outside of your comfort cage, it's not a zone. No, no, don't lie to yourself. You're stuck. You're not progressing at all. So when you finally get the gumption up to break out of your cage, you enter in what I call the learning zone because you have every opportunity to learn once you leave that cage. You'll have your wins, you'll have your learns. I don't call them failures, I call them learns because you learn from your failures, right? So you will have your wins and your learns. You'll get muddy and bloody, you'll stand back up again. There'll be times where you'll find your feet racing back towards the cage, sitting down and going, oh, then I love this, this is great. And after a few hours there, you're like, what am I doing? and you'll get back out into your learning zone. Now, there is a great comfort within that learning zone. There are times that we can walk on what we call the recovery road. It's a place of rest, reflection, and resilience. And it truly is that time to really gather your thoughts and heal, journal, those kinds of things. And then as life and events happen, we're thrown back into our learning zone and we have our choice again to go back to the cage or to just keep going forward and the best part about all of this the vulnerability that we share within our learning zone allows us the growth that brings us close to God it brings us close to that connection because we're usually on our knees like help (laughs) and that's beautiful
0: yeah, and I just want to also speak into something you just said about being vulnerable and allowing that facilitation with the Lord, a closeness that develops from that. But I also say when we are vulnerable, we give permission to others to be vulnerable too. Exactly. And those life lessons as you talk about are those that we can share in common. Now, they may look different. We each have different circumstances and unique trials that we must endure. But when we share our stories as part of a common human experience, we buoy each other. We encourage each other to forward momentum. And I think of so many people, April, that are inspired by what you've done, the resolve that you've exhibited and the strength in moving forward and saying, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to feed the shadow. I'm not going to stay behind bars. Oh, I'll have moments where I might be tempted, but I'm going to move forward. I'm not going to be looking back. And what can I do to help you along the way? See, that's the beauty there. Because that's what empowers other women. We are called to help one another to share those stories. And I love what you're doing in terms of getting the word out to shelters. You also have a supporters toolkit, which we haven't even talked about. Your call to action. You have three signs that allow you to tell if your coworker, family or friend is in trouble. And you've provided that toolkit. You also have a podcast So I have forgotten to ask you about that. Tell me about it. I do.
1: So my beacon of light podcast is for any author, a published author to come on and to share their story of hope. It can be fiction, nonfiction, self-help memoir. It doesn't matter. I believe that if you have a story of hope, then I want to hear it. I want my audience to know that there is always hope because with hope, there is light and with light. There
0: is life. Yes. Amen, sister. That's how it goes, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) what I'm about here. I love that. Well, gosh, you know, we have managed to talk through our time today, which is always the case whenever we have (laughs) great subject matter. I know that you've blessed people today. What else do you want to leave our listeners with today, April?
1: I want them to know that you're never alone. Yes. That is the largest lie that Satan will put in to you, that you're alone. And if you do any kind of reading at all, you'll find almost all of your great characters, they'll find themselves in that place where they feel like they're alone. But you're the reader and you're like, no, no, no. Joe over there is going to help you. No, no, no. Like, you're the reader. You know the story. You're like, no, come on, come on. keep, Don't give up. Come on. And that's so true. (laughs) You're never alone in this. Yes. My friend from work met me at the right place. So many people were there and my network. And they were the supporters that I didn't know existed, but God did. And so you were never alone.
0: That's great advice. Excellent. Well, where can people find you again? You've mentioned a couple of sites. If they want to tune into your podcast, how do people listen to that?
1: Excellent. So I'm on Anchor, Beacon of Light podcast there as well as we do a live podcast every Tuesday night at 7 30 central time and it is found on my Facebook profile my Facebook beacon of light group as well as my YouTube channel April tribe juke and we broadcast because through video at first and then I download it as an audio because I have a lot of deaf members in my audience and so I sign it and so that's why we do it in that video Platform and format, and then we download it into Anchor, so anyone has an opportunity for the audio to listen through. And again, we only have authors on the program, but any author that has a book of hope, we want them there. And they can contact me at april at apriltribe. or on the website, again, apriltribejukegiauque. dot com. And just happy to have you. Heck, meet me on Facebook. I'll answer you. I would love to talk to people.
0: Yes. Well, I was glad to be on your show because I was able to talk about Milk and Honeyland. So oh, that was so that was so fun. And I guess Rainbowland, too. I guess we did talk about the kids' books. Yes. So that was a lot of fun for me. Yeah. And you do a great job. And I love the fact that you sign. I know you have some deaf children as well. And that is just absolutely yeah. remarkable. You go, girl. You are just amazing. <laughs> So, and I have other author friends, we always say, wow, where does she get her energy? April is just amazing.
1: Uh, I don't know. I'm only fueled by water and food <laughs> and the love of God. So there, there you, you go. go.
0: Well, you're doing a swell job, my friend. Thanks so much for Thank coming you. on Thank today you. with me. And I appreciate in your busy, busy schedule, you made some rooms. So that's awesome. And I'll make sure I get your information love in it. the show notes so people can see it there. So great. thanks again, April Tribe Duke. And please continue to join us on Color Speak wherever you find your podcasts. And now on Grace and Truth Radio World, this is J.M. Huxley for Truth Talk on Color Speak, celebrating relevance restoration, social influence, and dynamic purpose in all places and all seasons.